the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Collaboration is the fuel of shipping future. Net zero is not just possible by 2050, it's going to happen. The EU and the IMO are going to converge regulations and the Global South is going to produce enough green sustainable fuels to power even the most ambitious decarbonisation trajectory for shipping. Do I sound convincing? Mm. Well, look, for those of you who were at North Shipping or have attended pretty much any industry event over recent years, you will recognise this initial exuberance and overflowing optimism from the industry keen to get its point across as pretty much business as usual. The reality is, of course, much more muted, and as we've discussed at length both on this podcast and in the recent Lloyd's List Decarbonisation Special Report, if you haven't read it, you really do need to, there is a distinct gap between the rhetoric and the reality in shipping right now. However, and I fully accept this may just be the first day effect taking hold with me, I am seeing promising signs of a more mature industry prepared to tackle the right questions and not just gloss over the obvious problems with glib soundbites. There are signs of real progress on show out here in Oslo this week as Nor Shipping gets underway, and we're going to be bringing you a few soundbites each day from around the various Oslo events. Today's opening session from Capital Link and DNV offered up an interesting cast of industry leaders, each tackling different aspects of the big questions of the day. Now, Personally, I'm still not convinced that the disparity between what the industry is saying and what they are doing has properly been addressed. But, as I say, I have found some cause for positivity on day one. So I'm going to bring you a couple of quick chats that I've had on the sidelines of today's events to back up my optimism. The first is with DNV Maritime's chief executive, Knut Orbeck-Nielsen, who told the audience today to stop being critical of one alternative fuel pathway or another, It's not a fight that's relevant anymore, he said. He wants to fuel progress with a little-known sustainable fuel called collaboration. No, um, I firmly believe that we've progressed as an industry. So, first of all, there's no doubt any longer about decarbonisation is the right way forward. I think what we are discussing is uh, the timescale naturally, uh, and also uh, to a large extent, what are the alternatives, what are the technology choices, what are the fuel choices, etc. But as an industry, we certainly moved uh, you know, far ahead. And anyone considering new builds today would be thinking hard and deep about you know, how to make sure that their assets are you know, not stranded in 15, 20, 25 years, depending on their segment. Now, there is a lot that can still be done, right? So there are many that are sort of reluctant to work on areas where there is a path forward. Um, I talked about energy efficiency, which is naturally there, but also there are fuel options that are available that will give a benefit. Now, will it be 100% perfect? No, it will not, but it will be a part of a transition, a part of a journey that can lead to zero carbon in the future and certainly within a one to two vessel generation horizon. Mm. And it feels that is definitely part of the conversation that has moved on. I recall talking to you two nor shippings ago where you know I think the industry was still very much in the mode of trying to pick a winner, trying to pick which fuel was going to be the one that comes out. And I think the general consensus now is that we are heading towards a complex multi-fuel future where 
there is no one-size-fits-all policy. It is going to be difficult, it's going to be expensive, and it's going to be quite complex, depending on how your fleet is made up. But that seems to be a much more mature and realistic conversation to be having at this stage. Do you, do you get the sense that the industry is now much more aware of the realities of availability, but also its own position within an increasingly complex supply chain that is governed by geopolitics more than it is their own choices. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this is one of the key uh, challenges we're facing today. And, uh, you know, I talk a lot about collaboration and how important that is. And it's exactly addressing the topic that you raised. And that is that shipping is not controlling its own supply chain when it comes to fuels. So we as an industry really need to reach out and get in touch, work with others and beyond our own industry. And then I think there's a, a very good sign that the conversation has matured, that we are now more granular on what are the trade you're in, where are you, um, you know, going, which ports are you entering, because that's going to determine a lot on the fuel options that you might have. Mm. So uh, in the beginning, we thought maybe everyone, there could be one solution that fits everybody. But mm. uh, I mean, shipping is such a fragmented industry, it's such a huge variances and geographies and trades and, and sh vessel types. So it's going to be a multitude of different solutions. And on that regulatory piece, we've heard from the IMO, we've heard from the EU so far, and you know, I think there is some optimism there that we might ultimately get some convergence of global and regional regulations if we can move this ahead. But on the flip side, I get the impression that this waiting to see what happens with regulation, this, this need for clarity in carbon pricing and things that will ultimately only really stem from regulatory decisions is at some level being used as a pretext for inaction from the industry. I'm sure there is, and uh, and it is very un unclear at the moment, and indeed what will be the price of some of these fuels, and where can you get them, and what will be the, the carbon levy or price that will be sort of dictated. So um, eventually... I am a quite a strong believer that this will be maybe more commercially driven for the leading segments and the leading uh, players in this industry. And uh, there are, if you think about, you know, the Fortune 500 companies, I think more than 90% signed up to the greenhouse gas protocol. And they will, to a large extent, measure their indirect emissions. And that is to many of us, the emissions that shipping emits. So having the possibility to demonstrate progress in this area is going to be more and more commercially important, and that's also where it's going to be very important to know exactly how much you emit, not on a yearly basis, but on a, say, a, a contract basis. Mm. And uh, so this will also help drive the progress, especially for those trades where that will become more important. And there are some you know, early indications on the, on the PCTC segments where you have the electric car manufacturers, etc. And do you think that's enough, that the gravitational pull of those who are pushing ahead, the progressive industry set who, you know, let's be honest, are the ones that are represented here in North Shipping, do you think that is enough to pull the rest of the industry forward? 
No, there's probably going to be, um, uh, say, a, a bag of different measures needed, and, and certainly regulation will be important to move sort of the last uh, part of, of the industry. Uh, but, you know, at this stage, it's so important that we have good examples, that we have, um, you know, people and companies that demonstrate what is possible also on the commercial side. Mm. Because, you know, it's so hard for a small player to put in place contractual terms that they come up with. So to have companies and organizations and leading you know, logistics supplies to be forward-thinking on these commercial aspects is also very important to move the industry. There's been a little bit of discussion, but probably not as much as we might like about those contractual obligations. I think people are still focused on the engineering aspects of, of efficiency. But, of course, if you look at things like the contractual agreements and just-in-time and, you know, ideas like Blue Visby and, you know, the idea of making the industry more efficient. So much of what is possible is not actually about the fuel or the ships themselves. It's about how we reorganize the industry into a more efficient way of working. Yeah. Are you getting any impression from your clients and the conversations that you're having in the industry that there is a bit more willingness to engage at that level beyond the specifics of which fuel? I think there is, but again, it depends a lot on in which part of the logistic chain you are and mm. what is that logistic chain. So there are certain chains that are more uncertain trades where this is more of a discussion than others. But again, it's so important that that discussion is initiated and that we get good examples coming out of that because that can be an inspiration also for others. So. Let's um, let's work with what is possible. That is sort of my phrase. <laughs> Final question. How optimistic are you that we're going to get a result out of MEPC 80 uh, in July that the industry can do something tangibly with? Well, I think this is probably... There's not going to be a revolution coming out of the MEPC uh, in July. Um, it will be another... Like Pink Floyd says, another brick in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it will probably be an important brick, but it's not going to be the full cathedral. And uh, we will have to, you know, start realizing that, um, you know, 175 or 176 nations, it will take time to agree on many of these steps. And uh, the measures and the, the, the end goal is probably easier than some of the measures. And, and that is what we are seeing already. It's difficult to put good measures in place. Wonderful. Thank you very much for joining us. Buoyed by Knut's unabashed optimism, I couldn't not bring you my chat with the ever-exuberant and, I would argue, pretty realistic Bud Dar. As many of you will know, Bud is MSC's Head of Maritime Policy and Government. And... He made such a compelling case on the panel that I was chairing earlier today that I felt it was only appropriate to get him to repeat it for the podcast for you. Yeah, so there's basically two tracks towards decarbonization here. And, and one is uh, the technology that we're going to deploy on the ships. The second is the actual development and delivery of the, of the fuels and creation of the midstream that it takes to do that. In my opinion, the technology side is winning the race by far. And I'm confident that we will have the technology in place to be able to use the fuels before these alternatives are really available at, at, at broad scale. There's still work to be done, don't get me wrong, mm. but um, the, the pace has been faster on the developmental side when it comes to the equipment. So what you can do today and what we're doing is examining what are 
the series of fuel choices that might be most logical for a particular type of ship, whether it's a new build or a retrofit, and the way we plan to deploy it, because a lot of this is deployment sensitive as you make the, the decisions, and building as much flexibility as we can tolerate up front so that we have options not only for the first fuel that's available, but what about when there are several of them in the marketplace and over time and the life cycle of the ship, one fuel maybe overtakes another as a more logical choice for a particular ship. So we're building those kind of features into our ships today as well as working with both the energy providers and the OEMs on the technology side. And it's interesting this week in North Shipping, you've got a lot of uh, you know, people who are professing to you know, want to hit that 2050 goal of 1.5 aligned uh, net zero targets, and that's something that MSC has in terms of a corporate goal. The reality of how you do that means different things to different people, clearly. And I think what we're seeing at North Shipping is that gap between the rhetoric and reality being exposed. Now, you're investing in, in assets, you're investing in efficiency measures, but not everybody is. And how, how do you see the gap evolving between those who are doing and those who are saying? Is there is there a gap there? Well, well first off, I think you've, you've highlighted that we, we have what I think is a problem in that the nomenclature is really not standardized as to when we say a phrase like net zero or carbon neutrality, do we really all mean the same thing? Mm. And I, I'm certainly not convinced that we do. And what it means for us is that come 2050, we will be net zero through the fuels that we are using on our ships uh, to decarbonize. It doesn't mean relying on external offsetting. The rhetoric has definitely outpaced the action uh, historically over here over the last few years. And now that some of the solutions are actually much closer at hand, I think that's being exposed as being a more real situation. So those that have maybe gotten in front of themselves with the rhetoric have to catch up on the work side. Uh, those like us who've been maybe a little bit more circumspect about what we've said publicly than, than some others have been working very, very hard behind the scenes, and now we have to choose how much we're going to actually talk about that in the public domain. Because when we make a commitment, we want it to be a commitment that we're going to stick to and we're going to actually live into. Because as I've said many times, at the end of the day, we're not going to be judged as a success or a failure based on what we said. We're going to be judged on did we actually decarbonize in 2050? And yes, it's important to say the right things and send the right signals, but it's far more important to do the hard work that it takes to get there. Mm. And we're seeing that gap being exposed when people are being pressed on stage. Even today, you know, we had a couple of comments to the effect of, you know, we're not Greenpeace, we're doing this for the economic, not environment. And, you know, realistically, you have companies now that are, you know, having to, you know, yes, comply with regulation, but going, you know, too far ahead is problematic, financially speaking, for many companies. And yet, some of the companies, and you know, yourself and uh, Lassie Christofferson from Wallenius Willemsen, were really arguing the point that we do need to go ahead. Industry needs to go ahead of regulation in order to actually make these targets re a reality today. Well, part of what's going to drive the steps you're going to take as any particular ship owner is going to be who are your customers and what are they going to demand. And we have customers that are demanding more and more in this area because they're trying to decarbonize their scope three emissions in their supply chains, just like adding an additional couple of loops on a particular uh, trade route 
um, we need to be there to meet this sort of need that they have as our customers. And so we have drivers that are certainly beyond regulations, including our own staff, because as, as we look at who's going to run these companies in the future, um, they've grown up with this being important to them, and they press us all the time internally on what we're doing, and they react very, very well when they hear that we are actually doing things to show leadership in that space. So I think you do have to move ahead with or without the regulatory pressure being there. What the regulations can help do is, first of all, level the playing field so um, you don't have those that, that leak through without doing anything. But I think eventually... That would catch up with them anyway if you're in a particular trade with a particular customer base because sooner or later this is going to be a price of admission to be in the frontier of the operators anyway. Mm. Um, but also the regulations will play a role that's very significant on the pace towards the net target. I mean, we certainly know what our net target is, and ship owners generally have been focused on decarbonization for 2050. But just how fast that occurs will depend in large part on the regulatory framework and not only what it demands, but what it allows. And if it doesn't allow certain solutions to be in play, particularly in the shorter term, we may find ourselves with a steeper hill to climb as we get into the outlying years towards 2050. So it's really important that we provide our input and be heard, um, but hopefully that regulators take that into account and build the right regulatory structures that incentivize the behavior we really need and incentivize the marketplace to be there so that we can all come together for uh, decarbonization on the, on the target that we've set. Final question. On that regulation, we had the Secretary General of the IMO speak earlier. You know, He is sounding positive. We are talking in the context of MEPC 80 being a pivotal meeting coming up. We've got the European Commission coming in this afternoon, and I suspect she will repeat what Kitak Lim said, which is they expect to see an eventual convergence of regional and global regulation. Now, that sounds great, but that's some distance off. And yet you, the man who's making decisions for a fleet of over 700 ships right now, are feeling optimistic. How do you, how do you marry those two things up? Are you, are you genuinely optimistic about the ability to, for MEPC to actually make some progress, do you think? I think MEPC has to make progress. I mean, this is their, their really their last checkpoint to make good on a 2023 strategy that we've all been waiting for since 2018. They need to make good on it and set some important benchmarking in place that certainly we'll build on later. So, for example, I would consider it a big step forward if they agreed that some form of decarbonization for 2050, exactly how that's defined, has some room for interpretation. I think that they should also be able to agree that it's necessary to have intermediate targets to get there, leaving the work, which is much harder, as to what value should be associated for that for later, and that also that there be a renewed emphasis on the actual or absolute emission reductions or net emission reductions rather than an overemphasis on intensity, which I think has the potential to lead you in the wrong direction. I also think encouragement towards development of a greenhouse gas intensity fuel standard. So rather than an intensity metric for the ship or the fleet, but rather an intensity metric of the fuels that are used, I think has some real potential. And industry is getting behind that. A lot of governments are behind it. The EU made the original proposal. And, and so I'm optimistic that they can lay the right foundation today to build out regulations. But it starts with they have to do something meaningful for the strategy at 
this session. And if they don't, I'm really concerned that IMO is going to lose credibility more broadly, and we're just going to see a proliferation of inconsistent, ineffective, and extremely difficult to navigate regional or local regulations step into that breach. And that breach just shouldn't be allowed to exist, and it's on governments, particularly the leading governments, to make that happen. Brilliant. But, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Richard, as always. Okay, two short insights there to get you going for the week. But I don't want to spoil you because there's much more where that came from. And I'm going to be back tomorrow with more from around North Shipping. Give me a shout if you're out here in Oslo. Always good to talk to listeners. I'm on at Lloyd's List Ed on Twitter when I can remember to check it. Or get me direct on richard.mead at lloydslistintelligence.com. That's M-E-A-D-E. Anyway, I will be back with you tomorrow. Have a good evening. Cheers. Bye. Bye.